And we were praying this morning and, um, uh, at the back, and um, Heidi had this beautiful word. And she said, she saw a picture of Jesus' face, and it was like the, um, the shroud of Turin, you know, that famous shroud that they often say had the face of the, of the Messiah on it. And, and as she saw it, she just saw God coming and taking all these layers off the face of Jesus and just peeling away our own impressions of what we've placed on him so that his face became clear. And I feel like that's a word for the series we're doing on Jesus, but also this morning. It's like, it's so easy for us to put our own projections and our own interpretations on Jesus. But isn't it so kind of God when he comes and he peels those off and he says, this is who he really is. Thank you for the amens. And uh, it's a beautiful verse. I think it's in Hebrews. It says, in the past, God spoke to us by the prophets in many ways in various times, but now he has spoken to us by his son. Like as someone once said, Jesus is what God has to say. Like, you, like we're doing Jesus for a year, like we're never gonna get bored because Jesus is what God has to say. He's the word of God. He's always speaking. The word of God is living and active. Like if you get bored, you just need to see his face one more time. The angels around the throne cry holy, holy, holy. Not because they don't have anything other to say, but every time they see him, they get a fresh revelation of his goodness and his greatness. And they're like, holy. And they're just like, they're like reset. Like, there is, like there's another glimpse. And I love what Julie said a couple of weeks ago. The seasoned saint must use up grace like a Boeing 747 uses up fuel. Like we, I was saying to Luke afterwards, I was like, the more you in like this walk of faith, the more familiar you can become with him. And it's like, we cannot become familiar with the one who is above all things. So my topic this morning, Jesus, do a miracle and help us get through it, is Jesus on every page. And if you open your Bible and you had to read like the opening verse or the opening segment of a book in the New Testament, I think it's, I might have my numbers wrong, I think it's 27 of the New Testament books have the name Jesus in the opening verse or the opening passage of that book. 22, 22. there we go, 22, thanks Taryn. <laughs> but then you read, I think it's 25,430 verses or something there and thereabouts in the Old Testament. And I don't think the name Jesus is ever mentioned in explicitly, but he's there on every page. And there's this beautiful golden thread of the story of God from the very beginning, from before the beginning of Jesus on every page, and we just wanna unpack some of that today. Michael Eaton, some of you may have heard him preach. He, I know he visited Cape Town often. He, he um, he went to be with Jesus, but he wrote this book called Real Jesus, and he makes this fascinating observation. I'm gonna read it to you. He says, after the de death and resurrection of Jesus, 
A new phase in the teaching of Jesus came into being because Jesus is raised from the dead. He appears and he begins to teach them and they are amazed and they are staggered in discovering that the resurrection is real. But what he does at this point, the teaching he gives them is this. He begins to teach them about the scriptures If you ask what Jesus is doing in those last 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, what he is doing during those 40 days, the answer is he was teaching the apostles to read the Old Testament and see him everywhere. So 40 days, he's just teaching them, okay, now now you know the story. It's come to its conclusion. Now I'm going to show you where I am on every page. I love Michael Eaton. And you know, there's an amazing story in Luke 24, these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I feel like this is a parallel for our journey this morning in this message. And in it, Jesus says, it says, Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Imagine walking along, along the road and Jesus just begins, he starts with Moses and he just starts, goes with the prophets and he just says, everything was about me all along. Imagine being on that road. And so what I want to do is I actually just want to read that story quickly of the road to Emmaus and then we're going to jump into three of these themes that Jesus was unpacking. But I just, I want you to put yourself in the steps of those disciples because I think it's, it helps us to actually get a grip as to what was going on in their lives and their hearts and their emotions and, and who they were as real people when Jesus began to say, this is what the Bible was, this is what the scriptures, because they didn't have the Bible, they didn't have the New Testament, they only had the Old Testament scriptures. So I'm going to read from Luke 24, 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, I love Jesus, "Um, what's this conversation you guys are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that has happened in these days? Does that like sound like you and God? It's like, do you not know what's going on with my life right now? And he said, what things? I think Jesus only ever answered questions with more questions. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, And our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So you can put yourself in their their shoes. And I love it. The moment God starts asking us questions and speaking speaking to us, we start speaking to him about him concerning Jesus. So they start telling him about himself. And besides, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some woman of our company amazed us. That's a good word. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find his body, they came back saying they'd even seen a vision of angels. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb 
And we found it just as the woman had said. That's a verse for your marriage. <laughs> but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that Christ should suffer these things and begin to enter his glory? And beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. What an amazing story. And I'll, I'll end with the last part at the end of this. But the first thing we see in the Old Testament is the theme of creation and the fall. So I know Taryn preached on Jesus as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. But there's an even richer sense that Jesus didn't only interpret what was foretold about his life, but he actually embodied and fulfilled all the themes that were running through the scriptures from the very beginning. It's quite profound. So creation and the fall. Obviously Genesis starts with creation. The Bible starts with God created the world and he saw that it was good. So he has these, this incredible plan for creation. Then humanity let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And he breathed into the dust of the earth and he created a co-creator. Said to Adam, go and name the animals. Isn't that amazing? God, like, the first thing he said is like, you go and, you know, and, and in that Old Testament culture, the name you gave something spoke of its character. So it's this picture of God co-creating with humanity. And then presence, the whole plan of God, it says that he was walking in the garden with them in the cool of the day. The whole picture of the Garden of Eden was actually the meeting place of heaven and earth, where heaven and earth overlapped. God walked with his people. It was always God's plan to permanently and fully dwell in our midst. It was always his plan. It wasn't his Plan B, he always, his plan was always to be dwelling amongst us. And then the fall of man splits this. And then we know there's a promise. One day there will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. So in Jesus, we see creation. There's this amazing passage, Colossians 1, it says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Don't you, like, think, I think of it like, like every, you know, when God said, let there be light, it's like everything was created through Him. I just think of, like, everything went, th like, through Him. And it had like the fingerprints of Jesus on all creation. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So it's like he's the beginning and the end and he holds everything together between the beginning and the end. And he created it all and he's sustaining it all. Wow, put that in your theological pipe and write a book about it. 
And you know what's so interesting about the story on the road to Emmaus? It starts with that very day. You know what very day it was? It was the day that Jesus had risen from the dead. So on the day that the firstborn over all creation became the firstborn among the dead, he comes and he draws near to these two disciples and he begins to show them what had always been about him in the scriptures. But he was already enacting that because he was now the new Adam. He'd already been mistaken by Mary for a gardener. When the, when the new Adam is revealed as the true Adam who is resurrected so that what was lost in a garden is restored in a garden. In the place in which the enemy convinced Eve to distrust his goodness, the second Adam reveals himself first to Mary, the redemption of Eve, and defeats separation. So Jesus is like the firstborn of, of the dead walking with them. He is new creation, and he's busy telling them and showing them how he was there from the beginning. It's like, I'm, it's, I don't know, my mind is blown. Humanity, Jesus is the true and better Adam. In that passage in Colossians 1, it says, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 1.19. It's not like God just became a human so that like, okay, he can identify with us. No, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to find its dwelling place. Like he longed, he was pleased to become a man. Like the humanity of Jesus is just so mind-blowingly significant that God would long and be pleased to go into a womb and rely upon a mother and grow up as a toddler who apparently had no tantrums. <laughs> but you know what fascinates me most about Jesus' humanity? Is that even when he was resurrected, he chose to keep his wounds. Like his new body, he could walk through walls, he could eat, he could do all those things. But he chose to keep his wounds to show us that there'll be one in heaven, in glory, holy, 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 the wounded healer who does not shy away from his humanity but actually embodies that for eternity. You know, when Jesus went, walked through the walls, he found his disciples and they were, he said, do not be afraid. And then he said, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, he was not just like being like Benny Hendler. <laughs> he was like, he realized this is the new creation. In the original creation, God picked up the dirt and the ruach, the breath of God, he breathed into the dirt and he created. So Jesus is now recreating and he's reenacting this and he's breathing and saying, this is new creation. It's so beautiful. Presence. Like the presence of God. You know what I love about the presence of God is that Adam and Eve committed like the greatest travesty in human history, the first sin, separating humanity from God. 
And it says, he was walking in the cool of the day, and he said, where are you? And they heard his voice. That even after the greatest failure, the voice of the Lord still spoke. And he still sought them out. And you know, whatever we do in our lives that we think separate us from him, he is the God who pursues. And he will always pursue us and he will always continue to pursue us because his heart is for us. And though our sin separates us from him, he'll never separate himself from us. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them not counting their sins against them. He was in Christ reconciling heaven and earth, not counting your sins against you. I love it. These guys are walking on the road to Emmaus. They begin to speak the name of Jesus and it says Jesus himself drew near. They just began to speak his name and he drew near. I'm like, wow. Like they were grumbling They were totally disillusioned, disappointed, but the name of Jesus, he couldn't help himself and draw near and begin to walk with them. And some of us, we live with disillusionment and disappointments and we journey in our lives and we think God's not with us, but it's precisely in those moments where he comes and he draws near. And he's willing to walk with you on the journey through your own loss, through your own disappointment and say, it's fine, even though your eyes are closed and you can't recognize me, it doesn't matter because I'm with you. And I'm committed enough to you and your journey that I will reveal myself to you and eventually your hearts will burn within you and your eyes will be opened. I was um, sitting at this place called, what's it, Buff, what's that damn? Quachas Kloof Dam. If you've ever been there, I want to meet you because I've never been there before. It's a like water skiing and boating dam about two hours outside of Cape Town. We went there f- to camp at, in the new year. It felt like we were on the sides of Everest because it was about an 80 kilometer an hour gale force wind blowing our tent and our son slept through it. Praise the Lord. And um, anyway, fast forward, I was sitting there just, you know, it was like the 6th or 7th of January and I was like, what is the word of the Lord for the year? I don't know why I did an American accent there. But, <laughs> um, but I was like, I'm meant to be prophetic. God, I'm meant to have like a, a word for the year. Like, and um, I was just like, who am I as a Christian leader if I don't have like a prophetic declaration for 2024? The year for more. Um, and I was sitting there, and um, I just felt God begin to speak to me about the story of Mary and Martha. And it says, Mary was distracted with much serving. I mean, Martha was distracted with much serving, but Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teaching. And at the end, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things, but Mary has chosen what is better, or Mary has chosen the one thing. And I felt God speak to me and say, like, You don't need a word for the year. You don't need to be defined by your ability to hear my voice and tell other people, choose what's better, sit at my feet and listen to my voice. Like you don't graduate from that. And that's what he calls us to, to be people of his presence. And then promise. 
the promise that one day there'd be one who would reconcile and in himself reconcile all things. You know, I love it that he's not just the promise maker, but he's the promise keeper. And for some of us, it's like we hold on to the promises of God like we've got to convince him of what he said to us. And he's like, I know what I, know what I said to you. As, as faithful as he is to make the promise, he is that faithful to keep the promise. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. Like he is all the promises of God fulfilled. Like you don't, you don't, like you don't go beyond Jesus. Like all the promises of God, everything God's spoken to you in your life, it must all point to Jesus. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful. He is faithful to his promises. And you know, I love this story of these two guys on the road to Emmaus because they on this journey and they say, but we had hoped, we had hoped, he, we had hoped that like Jesus, the, 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 the one, he was the one to redeem Israel. Like, like he was the one who was gonna set us free from the Roman oppression. He was gonna take over, you know, we, we'd hoped. And don't you know, it's, now it's the third day. Like he's been, he's been dead for three days. And they're giving him a whole lecture on his death while he's standing there resurrected in front of them. And he unpacks the scriptures to them. Verse 32, it says, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened up the scriptures? And you know what happens when you journey with Jesus is that he takes the very place where your hope is lost and he walks with you and he shows himself and he reveals himself and he reveals himself and eventually say, did not our hearts burn within us? That he turns the hopeless place, the place of the greatest disappointment that ever faced in their lives into a burning heart. He turns the bitter into sweet. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip over the patriarchs. Sorry, Abraham. I'm going to go just to the, the last stage three. If that's okay. You guys, you guys tracking with me? So Exodus and the desert journey, the people of God, the Jews of today still celebrate and remember the Exodus, the redemption of the people of God, the, the destruction of the enemies. You know, it's, um, it's amazing, like the, if you read about the Passover, it says they, they took the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorposts. And on that night, the angel of death flew over Egypt. And if you didn't have the blood on your doorpost, every firstborn son was destined to die. 
And I find it so interesting that Jesus is not only the lamb that was slain, who shed his own blood, like the blood on the doorpost, but he was also the firstborn son. That he doesn't only redeem the people we think God is for, but he represents the firstborn son that Pharaoh lost. That he is the one who brings enemies together around a table. It says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Not so that you can gloat before your enemies, but so that at the table of God, your enemies can become your friends. And so he brings redemption. He's the one who says he went into the depths of hell and he took the keys. You know, in that story of the Israelites going out, all the chariots got buried in the depths of the sea. And maybe it's even Jesus saying, I'm willing to identify with those who are drowned as my enemies. And I'll, go, I'll be the one who goes to an even deeper depth than them. Because there's no one beyond the redemption of Jesus. If you read your Old Testament, you'll see the whole system of the tabernacle and the temple. And what's so beautiful is that all the themes of the Garden of Eden the meeting place in heaven, of heaven and earth in the Garden of Eden. There's like all these, all these shadows, all these mirrors in the tabernacle and the temple pointing back to Eden. And so Jesus comes and it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and he made his dwelling place among us. Literally, he tabernacled among us. No longer do you have to go to a place to meet with God, but he became the dwelling place of God. And then he says he gives us his spirit so that we become the dwelling place of God. Like how is that for like fulfillment? Don't keep it to yourself, Jesus. He gave it away to each and every one of us. That as we step into the story of God for the sake of our city, we become the dwelling places for God, for people in our city to encounter Jesus. We don't need everyone in Cape Town to come into this building. We just need everyone in this building to go out into Cape Town and be a temple of God for people to encounter the presence of God. Now I'm preaching. <laughs> and so the whole plan is that Eden was meant to be the starting place, go forth, multiply, and Edenize the world. Make every place on the face of the earth like Eden. That's why Jesus prays, Father, he teaches us to pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your body, your life, your place of influence is an outpost of heaven. You are to heavenize, Edenize the world. We are the temple, not because my body's a temple, but because we're the dwelling place of God where we become the light in the dark. Like what the city needs is not another cool church on Cliff Street, but it needs people in a church on Cliff Street to go out to the places where people don't have life, don't have love, don't have hope. And the sacrificial system and the, and the law code where Jesus himself becomes the sacrifice that we 
could never pay. So beautiful, the temple in Jerusalem was built on the top of the stone in Mount Moriah. I haven't been to Israel, but if you go there, it's now the Dome of the Rock. Mount Moriah was the place where Abraham sacrificed Isaac, or almost sacrificed Isaac, where he took his son. God said, go and kill your son. And in the moment, just before he put his knife down, it said there was a ram in the thicket. God provided a sacrifice. So when Jesus was walking up in Jerusalem towards the place called the skull, he was reenacting what was happening with Abraham and Isaac. Except this time, he wasn't only Isaac, the obedient one who would lay down his life, but he was also the ram in the thicket. And the law code is where Jesus took what God wrote on the tablets of stone and he fulfilled, I think, what was spoken in Deuteronomy. He'd say, I will give them a heart of, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. I will write my law, not on stone tablets, but on their hearts. So that God doesn't need a people that have a list of things they need to do, but their hearts are so softened by his goodness and his kindness that his law is written on our hearts. Romans 8 says, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering for us. Isn't it beautiful that it says that in the places, the place of these men on the road to Emmaus where they had hoped, it was their hearts that burned within them. That our hearts are what he's after. He's always after our hearts and he's willing to let us even have our eyes closed until he's moved in the places of our hearts. I'll read the end of that story of the road to Emmaus. It says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. Guys, I won't be long, I know it's 11. He acted if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and, and those who were with them and, say, and they said, the Lord has risen indeed. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. He was so willing to go with them to a place called Emmaus, which some say is the burning place. When his whole life was, his whole life trajectory was towards Jerusalem. Jesus, for three years, he's like, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Three days later, after three years, they turn back from Jerusalem and they go to the place that is a place of comfort for them. And he's willing to go and walk with them in their disappointment and disillusionment back to the place of comfort and reveal himself to them. And it says he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
I was thinking about it, isn't that so profound? Like the very last thing they would remember doing with Jesus before he died was breaking bread. That he would redeem the very act that like signifies to you the biggest trauma, the most disappointment, the biggest loss. And in that moment, he would reenact it in front of you and your eyes would be opened. That God would turn the very thing that you were carrying as, a, as something that was your greatest disappointment into the thing that becomes your greatest hope. And it says, what did they do? Immediately they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. Because when God awakens our hearts, he turns us around from our disappointments and our own pursuits and we go and we pursue the things that he was pursuing. And what did they do? They began to speak of him. And when they spoke of him, it says Jesus himself stood among them. And so he's asking us as a people to be people who would see him not only on every page of scripture, but on every page of our lives and of our hearts. That we would say, Lord, we want to give you right now the places of our hearts where we had hoped you would come through for us, where we hoped you would do things in a way, in a time, in a place that we thought was going to happen. And we just invite you, Jesus, to come and make our hearts burn again. Holy Spirit, we sense your presence. It's so precious to be in your presence. And some of you might just begin to feel the presence of God in such a physical, tangible way. And I feel like what God is doing is he's lifting off like exactly what Haiti saw in her, in her picture in our prayer meeting. He's just peeling off the layers with the things of our lives, the disappointments, the way we had interpreted who he was to us. He's just removing them and he's saying I'm so much better I've always been there so if that's you don't you want to just put your hand on your heart and Jesus we just say won't you open our eyes to see you? Won't you cause our hearts to burn again for you? I feel like there's some people where just like he's, he's, he's just removing the weight of the last season over your life. Like you can literally physically sense like the burden lift off. It says, I'm better than you ever thought or imagined. And Lord, in this moment, we want to pray for our city, Lord. We want to ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes, Lord, 
to the places and the spaces that you would call us to, to carry the name Jesus. Lord, that we would find the ones and twos and begin to speak your name and that you would draw near and begin to reveal yourself to us, Lord. Lord, that as we take the journey of our day-to-day life, Lord, that you would reveal to us, Lord, your presence that is always pursuing us. We say, Holy Spirit, we so honor your presence in this place. Can I invite you guys just to stand for moments of response? I know it's 11.05 if you need to go and collect kids. You're welcome to do that, but please just honor what God's doing in the room. feel like we need to necessarily pray for anyone specifically right now but just to gaze on his face so maybe what we can do is just take the next couple of minutes as the band just lead us we can just lock eyes with him afresh say Jesus won't you come and imprint yourself on every page of our lives, Lord. Our highs, our lows, and everything in between. I feel for some of us, God's going to begin to open your eyes to where He's called you and placed you. Because we as a church don't exist for those within this building, but we exist for those outside of this building. And as he starts to cause our hearts to burn for him again, we burn for the things that are on his heart. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would begin to just release a fresh wave of your heart, Lord, for the lost, the broken the places in our city and our nation, Lord, that you've called us to carry your hope. Come, Holy Spirit.